Good morning. And thank you for the lovely music. It was perfect for our lesson today. <clears throat> let's, um, <clears throat> let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you for the gospel message. And as we uh, begin to talk about that this morning, I pray that you will just give us ears to hear and eyes to see and to help us to understand uh, what you would about this topic. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was a young mom with two of my three kids, I attended a group Bible study much like this one. We would meet twice a week. The teacher was a, mother, was a woman that was about my mother's age. And we would go through various different Bible studies. The big difference was that when we met, we just stayed in one large group. We never divided into small groups, but we had discussion as a large group. The, um, the whole lesson was rather interactive. And so one particular morning, our topic was on evangelism. And as the teacher began talking and asking her questions, the women began to respond. And one woman spoke up, and she began to explain that she found evangelizing really difficult. And the women in the room, they began nodding their head, and they began joining in. Yes, they found it uncomfortable. It was awkward. They didn't know what to say. Finally, one woman spoke up. She was the youth pastor's wife. And she said something like this. She said, it just makes me uncomfortable, so I don't even do it. And then another girlfriend chimed in. She said this, you know what I like? She said, I like to cross-stitch. And so I cross-stitch Bible verses on pictures, and then I put them in my home. That's how I evangelize. Now, I, I don't remember what the teacher said. I'm sure it was something very sound because she was very sound. But I just remember sitting there trying to digest what I had heard. This morning, it raises some good questions. Can we, as followers of Jesus Christ, decide for ourselves whether or not we will evangelize? If it is something that makes us squirm, can we put it off to the side? Can we ourselves define what it means to evangelize and how we are to go about that? Well, those are some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning because today we want to discuss the discipline of evangelism. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew 28? Matthew 28 Verse 18, this is known as the Great Commission. It should sound familiar to you. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, now turn over to the book of Mark. We're going to go to Mark 16. 
Mark 16, verses, Mark 16, verses, verse 15, says this. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. All right. My guess is that of all the disciplines that we will be studying in this book, this is the one that makes us the most nervous. So, because of time, we are not going to be able to have an exhaustive lesson on evangelism, but we are going to try to hit some of the key points. So to do that, let's start with the definition. What is evangelism? What is it exactly? Is any type of spiritual conversation, does that qualify as evangelism? Okay, well, in the Bible, an evangelist was one who announces the gospel. Now, I have a good definition on your handout from J.I. Packer. It's a long one. It's a good one. Our author put that in a more con concise version, and we're going to use that as our first point. Number one on your paper, what is evangelism? New Testament evangelism is communicating the gospel. Evangelism is communicating the gospel. Now, that raises another question. What's the gospel? What's the message that we are supposed to be communicating? Does it go something like this? Oh, you should go to church. Or you need to pray and invite Jesus into your heart because he can make your life so much better. He can give your life meaning. He can give your life purpose. He can give your life joy. You should turn to Jesus because he can help your marriage or he can help you with your parenting or your loneliness. Repeat this prayer after me. Okay. Is that the gospel message that we're to be communicating? I'm going to give you another definition, and it is also on your handout. This one comes from David Platt. It too is long, but I'm going to read it. It says, the gospel message is, the just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that all who have faith in him will be reconciled to God forever. Okay, you should totally learn this. It's a long definition, but it is a beautiful explanation of the gospel. I know for me, I spent years, I would try to evangelize by being a Jesus salesman. I would try to convince people that Jesus could make their life better. He, he, had made, he had given my life meaning. He had brought my life joy. He had given me hope. So I wanted to communicate that to people. Unfortunately, I was failing to communicate a crucial element of the, of the gospel. And that is that there is a God, there is a just and holy God who has a right over our lives. And we've sinned and we've rebelled. And so now we deserve the wrath of God. You see, people just don't have marriage problems and parenting problems. That we, we have a wrath problem. And Jesus Christ is the only hope for that. 
All right, now here's our next point, and this is from the book. Number two, anyone faithfully relating the essential elements of God's salvation through Jesus Christ is evangelizing. All right, now that means saying things like, well, praise the Lord, or have a blessed day. Okay, listen, those are nice things to say. Those are very nice things to say. Say them. But we want to understand something, that when we are talking about the discipline of evangelism, we are talking about communicating the essential elements of the gospel. Now that raises another question. What are the essential elements of the gospel that we need to be conveying? And I have those on your list as well. There's five of them. These also come from David Platt, and what you're going to see is they work beautifully with his definition. All right? Um, here's what they are. Essential elements of the gospel. First of all, the character of God. All right, this is where we've got to start. We have got to uh, communicate who God is. Because if people don't understand who God is, they will see no reason for salvation in the first place. Okay, so we want to teach them, we want to talk about the truth of who God is. And you see some key things in his definition. That God is just. That God is gracious. That he is holy. That he's the creator and has a rightful claim on our lives. All right, here's the next thing. Number two, the condition of man. We need to talk about sinfulness. We need to talk about the hopeless mess that we're in. Mark Deaver had this to say. Well, let me backtrack. A person has got to understand their sinful condition if they can repent from it. All right? Mark Deaver had this to say. There is no painless way to tell someone that they're under the wrath of God. Listen to that again. There is no painless way to tell someone they're under the wrath of God. And we wonder why evangelizing is uncomfortable. Okay, it's going to be. All right, here's the next point. Number three, the sufficiency of Christ. We want to talk about Jesus, how he is God in the flesh, and that he has lived a perfect life and is now able to be the sacrifice for our sin. All right, number four, the necessity of faith. Faith, not works. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way a person can be restored to God. All right, then lastly, we want to talk about the urgency of eternity. We want to be making clear to people that our eternal destiny, it hinges on our response to Jesus. David Platt said, he said this, he said, we are not sharing the gospel fully and biblically unless we invite others to respond to Christ in repentance and faith. Okay, in other words, he is saying that sharing the gospel includes inviting someone to repent and believe. Okay, now, these are the five essential elements of the gospel that we need to be communicating when it comes to evangelizing. Now, um, if you can remember that definition of his, it hits on these five things. Now, he has, David Platt, he has a series on his website called Threads. It's excellent. I would highly encourage you to listen to it. And what he does is he calls each of these elements a gospel thread. And he tells us that we need to be weaving these gospel threads through our everyday conversation. 
So you may not be able to have a full-blown gospel conversation with uh, the kid that's packing your groceries or the lady that you're standing next to in the doctor's office, but we can be weaving those essential elements of the gospel into our conversation. Okay? Now, here, this is from our next book. Number three, evangelism occurs whether the words of the gospel are spoken, written, or recorded, delivered to one person or to a crowd. <coughs> what I want you to notice is evangelism is going to involve words. Okay? You may, um, you may speak them on a phone. You may uh, type them on an email. You may deliver them to a crowd. But they're, they're going to involve speaking words, articulating. Now, if you are like anything, if you're like the women that were in my Bible study that were saying things like, you know, we get so nervous and we don't know what to say. And, and so, you know what? We just, we're just going to love people. We love people. We're going to be good and kind and, and we're going to be a, an example, a godly example. That's how we are going to evangelize. All right, what about that? That sounds pretty good. Um, turn with me. Is that a method? Turn with me to Titus, the book of Titus. We've gone here frequently. This will be familiar. Titus 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Titus 2, verse 3 says this. <clears throat> Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Watch now. That the word of God may not be reviled. All right, now jump down to verse 9. Same chapter, verse 9. It says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Now watch now. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Okay, should we love people? Yes, absolutely. Should we be an example and live holy, godly lives? Yes, you know the answer to that. Yes, absolutely. It adorns the gospel. It makes the gospel attractive. It draws attention to the gospel. It works in conjunction to the gospel. But understand something. At some point, we need to speak and deliver the gospel message. Here's our next point. Number four, evangelizing and adorning the gospel are both required. Okay, very simply, we've got to live it, we've got to speak it. They are two sides of the same coin. One writer said, life and lip. Life and lip, good way to remember it. When I was in high school, I knew that I needed to be evangelizing my classmates. And so I had a plan. I would be cheerful and friendly and nice. And then if anybody asked me, 
I would deliver the gospel message. That was my plan. It was not a good plan. It, it does not work. Nobody in my high school was saved because of my example. You may have heard this story. It was about a college girl. She had a similar plan. She was going to be happy and godly and let her example be her evangelizing. And then one day a fellow student said to her, you are such a lovely person. You're kind, you're hospitable, you're generous. Are you a vegetarian? <laughs> yeah. You see, the problem today is you can be very joyful, you can be very moral, but there is no telling what that will be attributed to. Okay, we need to articulate and speak the gospel message. Life and lip. All right, number five. We also want to remember that proclaiming the gospel is an act of love. Speaking the gospel is a loving thing to do. This is something else you may have already heard. <clears throat> came from a video of Penn Gillette of the, um, that's a magician duo of uh, Penn and Teller. And uh, Penn Gillette is an atheist, but he had this to say. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Those are powerful questions. We proclaim the gospel because we love God and because we love people. Britt Hume, he is a former television journalist. He used to work for ABC. Now he is a political analyst for Fox News. In January of 2010, he got in major hot water for some on-screen comments about Tiger Woods. You may remember the previous year, 2009, the end of the year, Tiger Woods was in the news. Uh, he had, his infidelities had been discovered and his wife found out. And then he ran his car into a tree. You may remember that. And then he was uh, missing golfing tournaments and, and the sponsors started to back away. So on Sunday, you have a panel, Fox News, you have a panel of analysts and they're discussing, can he recover from the scandal? This is the comment that got Brit Hume into so much trouble. He said this, the extent to which he can recover seems to me depends on his faith. He is said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. My message to Tiger would be, Tiger, turn to the Christian faith and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Okay, by side note, I would uh, point out that he has just weaved a gospel thread throughout his conversation. Now, in his case, it created an immediate backlash. Comedians, bloggers, news shows, newspapers, they were all criticizing him. They called him sanctimonious. They called him insensitive. 
They called him offensive. How dare he talk about religion on a political talk show? How dare he suggest that Christianity was superior to Hinduism or to any other religion for that matter? Up to this point, people were talking about could Tiger Woods recover professionally? Could he recover financially? And then you have Britt Hume come along and he's talking about the need for repentance and forgiveness. People were demanding he apologize. One writer, his name is Tom Shales, he, writes, he wrote for the uh, Washington Post a scathing article in which he accused Britt Hume of sounding like a commercial. This is what he wrote. Is it really his job to run around trying to drum up new business? He doesn't really have the authority, does he? Unless one believes that every Christian by mandate must proselytize. Those are actually some pretty good questions. Did Brit Hume have the authority? Did he have a mandate? Is it, in that gentleman's words, is it his job to drum up new business? Okay, let's talk about some of those. And let's uh, talk about those as we talk about the who and why of evangelism. Here's our next point. Number one, the conversion of the human heart is first and foremost an act of God. All right? We want to be very clear about that, especially when we're using the term proselytize. We're not in charge of converting anyone. All right? You know that. That's the work of God. Uh, we couldn't do it if we tried. He does the transforming. However, there is a human element to this. And here's the next point. Number two. In God's perfect plan, he has ordained for the gospel to spread through the mouths of his people, the church. God has determined that the church is to deliver the message of the gospel. Okay, so it's found in the Bible and it's to be delivered by the church. Okay, now we also want to clarify something. Here's our next point. All Christians are expected to evangelize not just the professionals, all right? Moms, new believers, people that haven't gone to Bible college, people that weren't raised in a Christian home, shy people, all Christians are expected to proclaim the gospel message. Now, sadly, that's not taking place. Thomas Rainier from Lifeway Research says that evangelism is dying. He writes that compared to 30 years ago, you'll likely find that only one person is being reached with the gospel for every 40 to 60 church members. Okay, you know what that is? That would be like a group of people this size and only one person articulating to a lost person the essential elements of the gospel. Here's the danger of that. You have a group of people that look at a group of women like this and they think, boy, those women, they're, they're so sweet. They're so kind. Look at the way they love each other. Look at what good mothers they are and good wives they are. I wonder if they're vegetarians. We need to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And think 
What if each one of us was faithful and obedient to the discipline of evangelism? All right, let's move on. Let's talk about who we are to evangelize. David Platt puts it this way. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. End quote. Okay, we are to invite people no matter their color, their age, their background, their religious affiliation, their gender affiliation. We are to proclaim the gospel to all people. All right, here's our next point. Number four. Believers are to proclaim the gospel to all creation and be completely inclusive. Okay, the the gospel is radically inclusive. So, in answer to the Washington Post columnist, yes, we have a mandate. We find it in the scriptures. The Bible gives us the mandate, which is also giving us our authority. All right, now, that raises the question, what about the power the power to share the gospel. Dawson Trotman, he was an evangelist and he was the founder of the Navigators. He said this, I've been a Christian for 29 years and it still frightens me to talk to a man about his need for salvation. He goes on to write that that fear, it becomes a reminder that not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He writes, you never get to the place where you can do it on your own. You need him. End quote. Okay, the authority to evangelize comes from the scriptures. The power to evangelize comes from the spirit of God. All right, here's our next point, number five. The same God who spoke the universe into existence has placed his spirit in his people for the express purpose of making disciples. You have been given the Holy Spirit for this very work. All right, let's talk about the question where. Where do we share the gospel? Um, Now, we've just read several verses that said, go to the nations, to go into all the world. My problem is I like staying. I like hanging out. I have a preference. I like hanging out with people that love Jesus. But God's word is to go. Go to the lost. All right. Here's our next point, and this is from the book. Number one, in addition to its spontaneous element, the spiritual discipline of evangelism means we discipline ourselves to be with unbelievers. All right. Now, just as we had to have a plan to read the Bible and pray, some of us may need to have a plan to go to be with unbelievers, all right? Now, some of you may be thinking, I uh, spend my days uh, chasing young children. I won't be going anywhere, okay? And I get that. That's, I understand that as well. Here's our next point, and it comes from Dawson Trotman. He reminds us this, number two, one of the greatest soul-saving stations in the world is the home, is the home. Maybe you've heard the expression, bloom where you're planted. Um, Do your kids have friends and playmates over? Share them the gospel. That was something uh, in in my home when my kids were little 
Anytime that children came over to play, my kids knew that mom was going to be trying to share the gospel with them. And they were very good partners. They were very good partners about it. All right. Now, some of you may not have to discipline yourself to be around unbelievers because your life is such that you are involved with the life of unbelievers. And so that isn't a problem. Maybe your struggle is how to talk to people. How do you talk about Jesus? How do you get, um, how do you evangelize? Now, there are courses on this one, and uh, you might benefit you to take them. I know one of the things I found helpful, you can go on YouTube and search for Kirk Cameron, the TV star, TV guy, and um, he works through the way of the master. That's the, the way he goes about doing it, and there is example after example of him going around interviewing people, and you get to hear how and you just get to watch it unfold. And it's very, very helpful, very useful. All right, now, but we want to talk about how do we evangelize. And to do that, we're going to use, go to the book of John. So go find John chapter 4 in your Bibles. John chapter 4, this is probably the most used passage in the Bible that preachers use, use excuse me, to teach about evangelizing. Now, again, we don't have time to do the whole chapter. We're just going to hit on a few points. But John chapter 4, verse 4, says this. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to, the wa- to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, now, this passage starts by telling us that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you know that Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. Um, Jews did not pass through Samaria. They went around Samaria. So this is telling us that this was not something that he would have, they would have naturally done, that Jesus was purposely doing this. All right, and that's um, going to bring us to our next point. How do we evangelize? Number one, Take the initiative. Be intentional. The very natural thing for us to do is to just go about our day doing our own thing, or we get too afraid to talk so we don't do it, but we are to be intentional. Remember, the verse said go. Right? Go implies initiative. So we got to take the initiative. Number two, start with the natural. All right? We could also say start with the ordinary. Jesus, he was thirsty, he was near a well, he asked for a drink of water. That's how he got the conversation going. I, um, and we too, that's how we can start uh, with conversation as well, start with the ordinary. I remember a joke, reading a joke in the Reader's Digest years ago, and it was about this woman who had to do all kinds of traveling with her job. And so she said that she would get on the plane and she didn't want to talk to anybody or be bothered by guys trying to hit on her. So she had three little magic words that she would use. Anytime somebody tried to start a conversation with her, she would turn and look to them and say, are you saved? And boom, 
Worked like a charm. Nobody ever talked to her after that. Okay? <clears throat> now, we can learn from that. We want to start with the ordinary, start with typical conversation. Uh, better to start by saying something like, you know, is, is that your only baby? Or how old is your baby? Or um, how long have you lived in this town? Have you, did you, were you born in Charlotte? You start with normal, um, ordinary things. My guess is that you don't have problems with this. You're women, and women do this well. All right, and here's the next thing. Number three, ask questions. Open-ended questions. All right, people love to talk about themselves. They love to talk about their opinions and their beliefs. And so you can ask questions. Now, I don't mean annoying, trivial questions. You can ask thoughtful questions. And in this case, open-ended. Things that you would say like, um, you know, why do you, what do you think about that? Or why do you think that. It said, uh, you, we want to create dialogue rather than monologue. Francis Schaeffer is said that when he was sharing the gospel, he spent 90% of his time listening, learning about the person, finding out what they believed. All right. Um, we can look to the gospels. Jesus was the master at, at, at asking questions. And you'll find that the, the one who's asking the question is usually uh, has a little bit better uh, chance at directing the conversation. All right, here's the next thing. You want to move to the spiritual. All right, now this is probably where we're getting stuck. We've got the, we're able to talk about the earthly things. We've got that down. But it's how do you get the conversation from the earthly now to the spiritual? I've heard, I've read some people will say they give themselves five minutes of chit-chat or talking, and then they, they want to start moving things in the spiritual. Um, often how well you know the person will have a lot to do with how you do this. Now, our author suggests asking the question, how can I pray for you? He said that's opened up a lot of conversations for him. In your packet, I have a, a paper with a list of some good questions that he recommends. Um, <clears throat> Rico Tice, he's written a book on evangelism. And he comes right out and he will ask people, would you be willing to read the Bible with me? He said that um, the man that he played tennis with asked him, that asked that of him, and he agreed, and it's what led to his conversion. All right, number five, we want to use Scripture. Use Scripture. Charles, Charles Spurgeon is famous for saying, I defend the Bible the same way I defend a lion. I simply let it out of its cage. Max McLean said something similar. He said, the Bible is its own evangelist. Okay, so we want to be using the scripture. Now, I'm not saying that you have to recite the um, word. Uh, do you have a question? Did I? Oh, did I did, but do I have the numbers messed up? Oh, do I not have use scripture in there? Okay, add that. That was, um, you know, that was b bad on my part. I didn't double check this. Um, yes, I should have had that on there. This is important. You want to use scripture. Use scripture. Okay. Um, now, as I was saying, you don't have to recite verse and, and chapter. We're saying work it, incorporate it into your, your conversation. Um, I can tell you from experience that I've, I've shared the gospel with people and, and bumbled and stumbled, and I don't think I was making any sense at all. But I was taking them through the Bible and letting them read the scriptures, and the Bible is its own evangelist. 
So let the lion out of the cage. Now, we talked several weeks ago about memorizing scripture to help us evangelize better. And again, in your packet, I have a list of verses that come from David Platt that he says, you know, learn to memorize these and then you can work these into your um, conversation. Now, something else I have found helpful. In the back of my Bible, I have a cheat sheet where I have the, um, the way of salvation written down a list of the verses that I would use if I was going to talk to somebody. And then I took that list of verses and I went through and I highlighted them in my Bible. And then in the margins I write, go to this verse next. So I, so I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. What I found is when I, when I get right down to it, I get, I get nervous or flustered or forgetful. And so I have, I have things ready to go. The, the point uh, also, um, your phones, they have great apps for this nowadays where you can have an app with all those key gospel essential verses right there ready for you on your phone. But here's the thing. As a believer, you want to be prepared. You want to be prepared. You want to be ready. You should be able to explain the gospel to someone in very uh, easy and simple terms. I, I suggest for women, be able to explain the gospel to a child. Because if you can explain it to a child, it forces you, it forces you to put it in, in simple terms without all the churchy words. You know, we live in a culture, they don't understand churchy words. Okay, so, so that's something that we um, want to be able to do. All right, one last thing. You want to be able to tell your own testimony, tell your own story. Now, you want to be able to share your story, how you came to faith, and you want to be able to explain it in such a way that the person has a better grasp of the gospel. You want to be able to do it in one to two minutes. You want this to be something that you can give at a moment's notice so that if you're sitting beside somebody at a soccer game or you're standing with somebody at the school bus stop, that you're able, that you're able to speak this and share the gospel in that way with your story. In your handout, I have another. There's a paper giving you some examples of what it might look like. It is also a paper telling you how you could, just to, some questions that could help you get your, um, your gospel put together in such a way that you can give it and then practice it. Now, what I've done is I wanted you to have an example of this. So I have asked for a couple of our own ladies if they would be willing to show you and do this. What I did was I charged them with being able to give their testimony in one to two minutes and including the gospel elements in. So if you would be willing to come forward. They have graciously agreed to do this. We had invited Jessa Rourke to share her testimony as well. And unfortunately, she has a, chick, a, a sick daughter. So, okay. I guess I'll introduce myself. I'm Sarah Spencer. Um, my husband's much better at getting in front of everybody and talking, so y'all bear with me. Um, so I grew up in a home where both my parents were believers. Um, we were taught about Jesus, and my parents and our church um, really shared the gospel on a regular basis. Um, <clears throat> when I say gospel, I'm talking about a holy God. He's good, has no darkness or sin in him. He created us, but we're separated from him because of our sin. Not just Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Um, my own personal sin has separated me from him. 
And he sent Jesus, who lived a perfect life without sin and died on the cross in my place and yours to be a perfect sacrifice. And if we'll trust him and accept the free gift of salvation, we can be reconciled to him and spend eternity with God in heaven. So at the age of six, I did understand that Jesus had died in my place for my sins. Um, I realized if I trusted in him, he would forgive me and I could have a relationship with God. Um, Looking back through uh, specifically middle school and high school, I can see where God placed women in my life um, to teach me and mentor me and um, really just show me what it looks like to be a woman that um, is seeking Christ. Um, I came to a point though when I was 18, uh, I was really at a crossroads. Was I going to look at these women and think, yes, they're awesome and um, yeah, I would love to be like them, but I'm comfortable in my selfish Yeah, I'm a Christian if you ask me, but I'm not going to do anything uncomfortable for the cause of Christ. Um, Was I going to live that lukewarm life, or was I going to live for Christ um, and honor Him with my life? And I really spent a lot of time in the Bible that summer reading Scripture. I I really just felt like God was pursuing my heart. Um, He gave me a passion for Him that's truly a gift. And I really am thankful for what He did then and um, what He's doing now to make me more like Him. And if I had um, the time and we were sitting and chatting, I would tell you uh, just all the details of what God has taught me over the last year. Uh, But if I had to sum it up in one word, I would say trust. Um, Again, I found myself at this place of decision. I had kind of gotten into a comfortable little life um, with my husband and my kids and my just family and friends. And I just desperately wanted to hold tightly to that. but I could feel God just calling me out of that and asking me to lay them down and trust Him. So I was a kid at this point. Was I going to cling and grasp to something that's good, um, but it's not God? Or was I going to press into Him? Um, My Creator, who had made my husband and made my sweet babies, He'd knit them together. He knew them um, first in the quiet of the womb before anybody had ever laid eyes on them. Was I going to trust that? God, or was I going to keep trying to grasp and just kind of do things and control, um, keep control of my own? Um, And I will say that's a daily struggle to really just lay them down and and trust the Lord that He's sovereign and that He really is good. Um, But there's just a lot of peace and freedom when I do trust Him fully. All right, my name is Brittany Glower, and my husband's Ryan. Um, And I grew up in what you would call probably a culturally Christian home. So we were at church every chance we got, but there was no true relationship with Christ. We were more focused on what we could do to earn our salvation and earn favor from the Lord than what he had already done by sending his son to die on the cross for us. And that really transferred into my life as I went off to college. And I left not knowing who I was or what I believed and um, continued to really just mask my sin with good works and find my identity and my worth in awards and in recognition. Um, And I was just really kind of like the whitewashed tombs that Jesus talks about in Matthew 23. Everything looked great on the outside and looked beautiful, but on the inside I was so unclean and so dead um, that 
really, it took me to a point where God and all of his goodness and loving kindness, he just continued to pursue me. And he fought for my soul and he fought for my salvation. And it led to a point on February 13th of 2010. And I remember this because I was sitting in an airport in New Orleans and I had just gone to Mardi Gras of all places. Um, but I was sitting and I was so alone and so empty uh, that really the only thing to do is to completely surrender control of my life to Christ. And that began my relationship with the Heavenly Father. And um, really it just, it took me to a point where I understood that Christ was more than enough for me. There was nothing I could do. It was just him. Um, and it was by his, his grace alone that I was freed from the chains of my sin. And I turned from my sin, um, and I was brought from that death that I had felt to eternal life. Um, since then, life as a Christian has definitely not been easy. It's probably been harder um, in this past year especially, but I have just seen through God's mercy how he um, is so powerful, and I've seen his promise through the circumstances of my life. Um, I'll share with you this past year, um, I learned sadly about a past history of sexual abuse in my family. Um, in November, my dad was diagnosed with three brain tumors. And then most recently, we, um, we lost our second baby to miscarriage. And I wasn't emotional when I was practicing this. <laughs> but really, I have such joy, and that's the only reason that I share those with you, even though it probably doesn't look like it, but I do. I have such joy and such peace and such freedom that can only come from a relationship with Christ, and um, and I know now that I have an intimacy and a closeness to the Lord that I've never experienced before, and, and that also can only come from a relationship with Him, and um, it makes me long for eternity with Him. It makes my heart just yearn for um spending eternity with him and makes me focus on the eternal in every aspect of my life and I would gladly go through all of what I've experienced this past year um, and more just to experience that closeness and to make sure that others can as well and so um, I'm really grateful that he's given me those experiences because I know that they're for his glory and I know that he's using my story and my salvation for his glory. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Now, do you see we had two different stories? Um, listen, here is my challenge. Go home. Write your story. Use, you can use the paper for some prompts to get some things, some things that maybe you should include, and then give it. Practice it if you need to, but start working it into conversations as you're talking with people. And so that we can be faithful, faithful, to the discipline of evangelism. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Powerful. It's just powerful to hear somebody share their testimony. Powerful thing. Okay, let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you. Thank you for those that have just stepped out of their comfort zone this morning and, and shared their life and their story and how you've been at work in their lives. We praise you for that. Father, our, our prayer now is that you will just, just grip us and help us to be obedient. Help us to, to obey this and not try to think up new ways that are easy and comfortable, but, but to do things as, as your word would have us to do. 
Help us to be faithful women. We have a, a glorious message. Help us to be faithful to share that. And we ask that in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, amen.